Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everyone. I'm going to read chapter 18 of Acts, verses 1 through 22. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Achilla, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads, I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. While Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Galileo said to them, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names in your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd there turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul. And Galileo showed no concern whatever. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Sincrea because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, Lovely to be together on this Sabbath day. If you don't have a Bible, please do uh, open it up again. Uh, Open it up there uh, or it'll be on the screen behind us. We're going to be looking at uh, Acts chapter 18. Um, Let me pray just as we start. Father, as this passage reminds us, you know exactly what we're going through, and you know exactly how we all come here this morning. Father, would you open our hearts and make us teachable? Whatever we're going through and whoever we are, however we would describe our our relationship with you, whether we believe, whether we don't, uh, Father, help us to listen 
show us Jesus in this passage, we pray. Amen. Amen. So I want to tell you about my friend Dave. Okay, Dave. Dave used to be really into um, fitness. You know, he would tell me he went to the gym every day. And I went, Dave, every day? That's a lot. What do you do there every day? And he would say, day one is um, legs. Day one was legs. Day two was arms. Day three was um, back, I think. Day four was, um, what's the word, front? <laughs> Torso, core, chest. There we go, very good, very good. So, you know, I said to him, wow, Dave, you must be really fit. And he went, nah, man, no, no, no. And I was like, what do you mean? Do you not, do you not? And he's like, and he said, oh, I know, I don't do cardio. You know, it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't run. And I was like, so, so no marathons for you then? And he said, no, 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 it wouldn't last five minutes. And this is the key thing, right? He said, I don't have any endurance. I thought, ah. It came to mind yesterday as I was thinking about Acts 18. I thought, what is Acts 18? How can we, how could I, how could I start this? Acts 18 is about the body. And in the Bible, the body is a metaphor that God uses to describe the church. But I bet if you went out and asked people in the, in the city, what is the church? They would not say, it's the body, it's all the people of God together. But that's what it is. The church is everyone who trusts in Jesus. And God says we're like parts of the body of which Jesus is the head. And that's what we're going to see in Acts chapter 18. We're going to see the different parts of the body function. We're going to see the different parts of the body supporting each other. We're going to see as well the endurance that we need for the race that God has called us to run. Because it is going to be a tough race. There will be times when it is really hard. But it's also going to be an incredible race. So, Acts 18, we're in Corinth. Um, I notice I know, but not many people picked going to Corinth. And you know what? Maybe you've read Acts 18, or maybe you've read 1 and 2 Corinthians. Corinth is a, is a very tough place to bring the gospel to. We're in the year, about the year 50. So this is roughly 20 years after um, Jesus died on the cross and rose again. And Paul is going on his missionary journey to tell people about Jesus from city to city. And, he, and last time we were here together as a church, Steve took us through Athens. Now, if Athens is a city of learning and philosophy and reason. It's like a university. If compared to that, Corinth, wow. Corinth is a metropolis of culture, of revels, of wealth, of worship, where people lived doing whatever it is that they wanted to do. Corinth was quite a place. And it's not the easiest place in the world to try to bring the message of Jesus. People are doing so many different things. Up on the hill, you've got the temple to the Roman, or to the Greek goddess of love, as the, as the temple priestesses or prostitutes walk the streets. It's a, it's a challenging place uh, to go to. But when Paul arrives there, he's not the only Christian in the city. Aquila and his wife Priscilla are there. That's in verse 1. They're a married couple. And did you notice how they themselves are only in Corinth because as Jews, they were forced to leave Rome? Now, if, if you find yourself in Dublin and you think, this was not my plan to be in Dublin, then you know exactly what they're going through. But Paul connects with them because he works in the same trade as they do, making tents. And you think, get out of your head, sort of decathlon tents, Irish, Irish camping in the rain. That's not, that's not exactly what this is. He, making tents is a very employable skill in the Roman world because all those centurions who are out patrolling the empire, they all need tents to stay in. So he, he has got something that enables him to fund what he is doing. 
And so before any of us think, oh, man, has he just dropped the ball on, on you know, going and doing, to telling people about Jesus? For now, this is necessary to fund what he's doing. Um, but it doesn't happen all the time. But sometimes he has seasons when he gets to do it, as we'll see, when he gets to do it full time. But he is still, um, in verse 4, have a look at it, every Sabbath, he is reasoning in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So imagine the people that he met, though, you know, as a tent maker, people he would probably never meet if he had just been in the synagogue all the time. Imagine the connections, maybe the people who might have come along and hear. Either way, whether they went to the synagogue and heard him or whether they just worked with him, they would have heard what mattered to Paul. What was he about? Why is he even doing this? As a church, what are we about? What are we going to be doing? It's in verse 5. Have a look at it. Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews, and here it is, that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. Now, I'm sure a lot, most of us here know that really well. But if you're here today and you have, that is not something that you believe or not something that you understand, here's what it is, right? Jesus is the Son of God who came to save us from our guilt. We have guilt because of our sins. And anybody then who comes to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus then changes us from guilty to innocence. It's a complete swap. He takes our guilt and gives us his innocence. And he does that through his death on the cross in our place. As a church, our great desire is that people would come who have not heard this or don't know it well or don't believe. We want people to come and hear the gospel. We want to go and tell them that. So if you're here today, maybe people assume you're a Christian because you're here. Maybe you know about Jesus. Oh yeah, I know all this stuff. I know he's the son of God. I know that, I know that. But, but he's not your savior in your hearts. Well, he wants to be because he loves you. He wants to forgive your sins. He wants you to believe in him. He wants you to have an informed opinion. Read the Bible. Think about your questions. Come and talk about it. But this is what we are about, eh? As a church, this is what we are about. Jesus is the Messiah. That's what motivated Paul. That's what he was doing. That's why he was working as a tent maker. That's why he was going to the synagogue. That's why he was traveling on these journeys, because he knew that Jesus was the Messiah. He knew it was true. He knew that we're guilty and we need to be forgiven. And he went and told everybody. Like Paul, if you make Jesus your everything, he will not disappoint you. He, is, he, is, he, can, he can be everything for us. Now, we're part of the body, and so is Paul. And if you, as you've seen in the first few verses there, Paul is not on his own. He's with, he's with Aquila and Priscilla. And so that shows us that whatever, whoever we are, whatever we're doing, uh, whether we're tent makers or whether we're in full-time, able, able to be in full-time gospel ministry like Paul was able to be, in verse 5, Silas and Timothy arrived. We know from other letters of the Bible that they brought a gift from the Macedonian church, so Paul's able to be full-time for a, for a season, able to devote himself to preaching. But whatever your life looks like, I was chatting to someone this morning who, who, is, who is studying and working and serving and doing everything. There's loads going on. Maybe you're married. Maybe you've got kids. Whatever your life looks like, you can see different parts of the body in, in this passage. You can see it in Paul in the different seasons of his life. You can see it in Aquila and Priscilla, in Silas, in Timothy. Whatever God is calling you to, whether you have, uh, have to move country, whether, you, whether, you're, whether you're from Ireland, whether you're friends, whether you play sport, whether you're not, maybe one day you're, you, you'll get married, maybe you're already married, maybe that'll never happen. If you have children, whatever God has given to you, and whoever, whoever God has given to you, as a church, let's be asking ourselves, how can I amplify the gospel message that the church is here 
to tell people about. What has God given you? What are you interested in? What are you skilled at? Where, where do you live? What, what, what resources do you have? And who has God given to you? Paul was not a one-man band, right? Paul was not a one-man band. Have you ever seen one of those guys with the big drum on his back and he's got the harmonica in his hands and he's going around the streets playing all the music? Paul was not a one-man band and neither are we. We're part of the body. So some of us are like Priscilla and Aquila. Some will be able to um, support Paul as, as, as others did. Some will be single, be able to do that. Some will be hospitable. You see all this in this passage. But whoever, whoever and whatever God has given to you, all of us are connected to the head. Aquila and Priscilla have a tent-making business, but they could also speak of Jesus. If you have a Bible, it's not going to be on the screen, but if you have a Bible in your hands there, just jump down to Acts 18, 26. It's a little bit beyond. I'm jumping ahead a tiny bit. But I just want you to see what Priscilla and Aquila, when they, they, they meet a young Christian, and when Priscilla and her, Aquila heard him, it's verse 26 of Acts 18, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. So they know the gospel. They understand. They're able to disciple another Christian, help someone to understand the Bible. Now, it's not that we all have to be preachers. If that is not, you feel your gifting or your calling. Um, but all Christians are called to grow as disciples because we're all connected to the head. So uh, Jesus is not just the way in, but he's the way on. So what I want to encourage you to do is to ask Jesus to te continue to teach you to ask Jesus to continue to help you to grow in your love for him. And he will fill us to overflow by the Holy Spirit so we can share him with others. Whoever you are and whatever God has given to you, whoever he has put in your life, you're connected to the head, which means you can tell people about Jesus. Now, Paul's been out there doing this. He's been out there proclaiming Jesus, but it's not without opposition. Verse 6, they opposed, the Jews, they opposed Paul, Acts 18, verse 6, and became abusive. He shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. It's really hard to set to figure out exactly what tone that is, depending on how you read it or depending on how you feel. But either way, it's not a pleasant conversation. It's not an easy time that he's having. Jesus is the Messiah, Paul tells them. And essentially, they're going, no, we don't want to hear that, or no, we don't agree with that, or we're not interested. And they seem to get loud and pushy, Abusive is the word, so this is really hard. And Paul's response to them, I think it has to be at least a little bit coming from a place of hurt. Because in verse 6 he says, from now on, I'm going to the Gentiles. I don't know if you've ever felt that way about something else. I'm done with you people. <laughs> Enough. And I like this because it kind of shows you that Paul is human, is a human being like us. And he gets hard, it's hard and frustrated, and when he's rejected, it's painful. These are his people. You know, he, he was, he's, a, he's a Jew who became a Christian, but still cares about these people. It's hard. Um, and, you know, I was thinking about this week. If someone, if someone grows up, the Jews thought they were God's people by birthright because of who they were. And that's even though, you know, we don't do that, hear that as much in Ireland these days. If someone grows up thinking that you are, you're in with God, you're a Christian, you're saved, because of where you were born, or the, your denomination, or your, who your parents were, or perhaps more commonly, your morality? Oh, you know, if, if, if God is real, and if there's a heaven, and if Jesus is real, well, sure, I'm, I'm a pretty good person, and I'm, you know, you know, live and let live type of guy, you know, or I have my own kind of religious worldview. It's very hard. If that, is, if that is someone's view of God and salvation and forgiveness, it's very hard to reach the heart. Because you think, oh, I'm, I'm good, I'm good. Whereas Jesus talked and talked about the heart. Out of the overflow of the mouth, the heart speaks. 
You know, we can't, we can't do anything about, about, our, about our hearts. Uh, our hearts, what, happen, what we need to do in our hearts, our hearts need to be broken. You know, we hear that in films all the time, oh, she broke my heart, you know. But actually what our hearts need to be broken by is that we are guilty of our sin and we do need a savior. And only the Holy Spirit can do that. So what Paul says is really heavy, but it's true. You see in verse six, he says, your blood be on your own heads, I am innocent of it. And that sounds really harsh. What it means essentially is that everybody is responsible for their own reaction to Jesus. Our blood or our guilt is, the, is, a, is a word describing the eternal death that we deserve because of our sins. And each one of us is a sinner. So Paul shakes his clothes and says he's innocent because he has told them. Now, if you've been here as we've been doing Acts, he has told them many times with great patience Synagogue to synagogue. It's not just day one. You don't want to hear it. Well, fine, forget you. I'm out, of here. I'm out of here. I'm done with that. Paul is a man of nuance, of listening, of reason. We saw that in Athens. He would have been the same here as well. But still, as a church, we need to be prepared for the times when people will reject the message that we carry. Jesus is either going to be the cornerstone of our life or he is going to be the rock that people trip over. And that is, that is going to be hard if that happens. But here's the thing. Some, some, yes, some people will say no to Jesus. Some people will reject us because of the gospel message that we carry. But you don't know who, who that's going to be. Even if, to your face, they go, I don't want to hear it. You don't know what's going to happen. Because, look at verse 7. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Tidius Justice, a worshiper of God. Now, before we move on, imagine, you've got to imagine Paul, right? He is roughed up. Heart is pounding. He has had a difficult time with this. He's scared. He's scared. God says later on he's scared, so he's scared. This has been very hard. He leaves the synagogue, goes next door to this Christian's house next door, and look at verse 8. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. I think what, we, we went from a few verses earlier from Paul saying, I am done with you people. Your blood be on your own heads. Goodbye. And he goes next door, and he finds all these people who have become believers. How in the, what? That, I, when you first read that, that is a bit of a shock. That's a surprise. I thought we were going in, oh, and it's really, look at that. That's amazing. Uh, another, another young man I know called Ben. Um, I was a youth worker, by the way, in case you're wondering, why does he know so many young people? But I was a youth worker for a long time. Um, and uh, Ben, as a child or a teenager, almost never came to the youth group that I ran. Didn't want to be there when he did come, maybe twice. I can remember, I still remember exactly the two times he was there because this guy was just, was giving me lots of attitude, was like, I don't believe any of this, man. I don't want anything to do with this. No, 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 clear off. Didn't, didn't want to know. His parents weren't Christians. His grandmother was a faithful lady of prayer uh, in church. But this young man, it's just like, not going to happen. Nah, not going to happen. Then when he was 20, I ran into him. And the first thing he said to me was, oh, Neil, guess what? <laughs> I became a Christian. I was like, you what? <laughs> no, I really looked at him and I said, you what? I was like, there is no way. You didn't know him. There is no way. And yet, I asked him, how, how did you become a Christian? You didn't come to anything. How did you become a Christian? And he said, oh, I read the Bible. <laughs> I just thought, it was God uh, reminding me that it's not about me and it's not about us. We're not called to, to, we can't affect people's reaction. All we're called to do is to go where the people are who has God put in your life? And to be faithful and tell them about Jesus. That's what we're called to do. So the response is not our responsibility. Our responsibility 
is who God and what God has given to us. Your friends, your teammates, your children, your colleagues, listen to them. Pray for them. Ask God for wisdom on how best to share Jesus with them. And if you're feeling like you're not up to this, you're absolutely right. Of course we're not up to this. Of course we're not up to this. Uh, God is the one who convinces people, and it's the message of Jesus, not the message of us. And God is working through our weakness. Because did you notice in verse 9, God speaks to Paul. And I don't know about you, but I'm thinking of all the time. It probably may not have been that very night that God spoke to Paul, but still, uh, Luke, who wrote this gospel, is putting it in here on purpose. It goes from verse 7 to verse 8 to verse 9. One night in verse 9, God spoke to Paul in a vision. Why there? Because he's had a hard day, yes, in the synagogue with the Jews. But then he goes next door to the house, and a load of people have become Christians. You'd think he'd be on a high. You'd think he'd be on cloud nine going, this is great, this is going really well. Why at that point, look at this, does God say this to him in verse 9? Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. I mean, first of all, that's amazing, because God isn't silent. Unlike the gods of Greece, where Paul is traveling through, God is not distant, far away. We have to speculate about him. He has come, he come near in Jesus, and he speaks. And he still speaks to us today through his word, through his spirit. God is amazing that he is aware that Paul is scared. Paul is shaken by the abuse of what he's going through. And why is it it's really shaken him to his core? Because he knows what he's doing is this. Uh, we got a verse from uh, 2 Corinthians 4, please. We're going to stick up on the screen here. Later on, Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. So does his ministry in Corinth, goes away. But later on, he writes to the church that gets established in this very difficult city to, to, to have a church in. And he says, this is why it's so hard. Um, in verse, chapter 4, verse 3 to 5, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled, can't see it, to those who are perishing. The God of this age, as the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the lights of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. So if you ever say to yourself, I don't know how people can't see how amazing Jesus is, this is why. And if you're not a Christian, it might be quite shocking for me to stand here and say the reason you can't see it is because the devil can't see it, but it's blinding our eyes, but... There is so much in this world that wants to distract us. The devil being a fallen angel does not want us to be forgiven for our sins. He wants to drag us into death, into the dust with him. And if you can't can't see it, or you think, I know people who just can't see it. I work with people, my friends, my family, they just can't see it. Well, Jesus can open blind eyes, can't he? He did it physically, and he also does it in our hearts. And he will do it with other people. We don't know who they're going to be, but he will open people's eyes and they will come to faith. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to see this happen. I want to see people I work with, people I work with, like, it break your heart sometimes listening to what people are going through. And you just think, I want you guys to know the comfort and the, the love of Jesus, to be forgiven, to know that you are seen and loved and known, that the Son of God came and died for you. So I want God to do that. And here, God makes promises to Paul And some of these are specific to Corinth, and some of these are more general, and we can take with us. But let's think about a couple of them. Uh, Verse 9 and 10 again. God will be with us. God will be with us. He knows everything we go through. He he says he has many people in this city. He's many people in this city, too. 
But what does he mean by that? I think he means two things by that. He's many people in this city because Paul goes on to have this run-in with the proconsul and the Jews want to get him silenced. And actually this guy, Gallio, the proconsul, he protects Paul. Uh, well, he sort of just doesn't really agree with the Jews and what they're doing. So it's just more happenstance that, yeah, he just happens to take Paul's side. Now, we can't guarantee that that's going to happen. We're not promised that we will never suffer for our faith. There are many Christian martyrs. Paul himself suffered many times. We've seen Paul in prison. So it's not always going to happen. So when God says there are many people in this city, yes, he does. And he has people who, 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 um, who, who, are, who protect Paul. But I think it also means something else. It means people who aren't Christians yet. I have many people in this city. Like, imagine who's God got in this city. And one day they will come to faith in Jesus because someone shares the gospel with them. We don't even know who they are. Not yet. So if you work with people and you think, no way, not going to happen, well, you never know. Uh, even, if, even if you walk out of the room one time and go, they're just not interested, like Paul did. Well, you never know. Um, so yes, uh, in, in when Paul is brought up, is brought up in, by the Jews in front of Gallio, and, you th- and he gets, you know, he is pretty, Gallio just says, no, we're done with this. It's in verses 12 to 17. He's a Gentile, he's in charge of Paul, prevents him from being hurt, but Gallio has no concern when this guy Sosthenes in verse 17 was beaten. If that was read out, did that touch you? Did you think, oh, you know, Paul, Paul, Paul is set free, but then Sosthenes was beaten. So we can't trust the world to always protect us or to be just, but you can trust God. That's why God speaks to him. We can trust him. He will always be with us, even if that, mean, even if that does mean in spring to see Jesus face to face. God will always be with us. So, Paul's had a difficult time in Corinth, but also a really encouraging time in Corinth. People have come to faith, and it's amazing. But God speaks to him. And even after the encouragement of people coming to faith, God says to him, don't be afraid, keep on speaking. And you know, I, think, I was thinking about this, and I thought, why, why, did God, why, why did God do that? Yes, he knows what we're going through. Yes, he wants to bring us comfort. But you know why? Because Paul needs endurance. Remember my friend Dave, who had no endurance? And we need endurance too, friends. If we're going to be the church, we're going to do this. We're going to tell people about Jesus. We're going to think and pray for the city, the suburbs, wherever we live, wherever we work. We're going to need endurance. Because however long our lives are, we don't know how long they're going to be. Some of us will have a long life. Some of us may be a a shorter one. We don't know. But whoever God puts in our lives, whatever God gives to us, whatever it might look like, don't play the comparison game. Instead, ever, all of us, wherever we are, whatever we do, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. There is so much in the world that wants to distract you from Jesus. And for sure, this is, this is God's world. There's so much we can enjoy about it. It's good. But, the, but the, the God of this age, the devil, would love nothing more than for us to be snoozing on the job. You know, don't worry about telling people about Jesus. Or don't, or don't, or don't you know, go to, go to city group and... and, and you know, grow in your own love for Jesus so that you can share him with other people. No, no, don't do any of that. Just, just, you know, shh, just don't say anything. Just go for a little sleep. He wants to snooze in on the job. Now, I love a nap, but that's not what this is. That's not what I'm talking about, right? Um, I know sometimes it can be very hard to share Jesus with people. You think they're going to think I'm nuts. They're going to think this sounds so weird. They don't know what this is like. But God is the one who opens, opens blind eyes. God is the one who reaches our heart. Um, so do not, do not be silent, but continue to share the gospel. Now, also don't want you to misunderstand. This is not me telling you get busy for the sake of busyness. You do not have to be someone else. 
How has God gifted you? Who is he giving you in your life? If God calls you to speak to CEOs and rulers, well, praise God for that opportunity. But if God calls you to be a faithful friend or to be a parent, that is no less significant. After so much time in Corinth, Paul continued on his journey. He continued to bring the gospel to the Jews. So if he was, in the, if he was just hurt, he, he was re-encouraged by God. He continues to bring the gospel to the Jews and to the Gentiles. But watch how he decided what he's going to do with his life. Verse 21. Have a look at it in Acts 18. Verse 21. See what he says to them? He's moved on by this point. But they ask him to say, and he says, I will come back if it is God's will. So he sees his life through the, through, through the lens of the gospel, through the lens of being part of the body and where God has guided him. So ask God to guide, guide you by his spirit. Ask God to help you dive deep into his word so that the love of Jesus overflows out of you. Trust in Jesus. Love the body. If you look around you just for a second, I know it's kind of weird, but would you mind looking around you a little bit, look at everyone around you? This is the body of Christ. This is not just a bunch of people who've decided to gather in a school and slogan. This is the body of Christ. Different parts of the body all working together, gifted by God, connected to Jesus, who is the head. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for everything that you have given to us and everyone you have given to us. Uh, Father, we bring before you now people who come to mind, maybe our family, maybe our friends, maybe our colleagues, who, who wouldn't call themselves uh, a believer in Jesus. Maybe they're very far from that. Maybe they seem like they would never be interested in that. Uh, but we want them to know that, that you love them. We want the guilt for their sins to be taken away. We want uh, them to trust in Jesus and his death on the cross for forgiveness. Father, your love is on display for us in Jesus on the cross. Help us to be people who would speak of Jesus, who loves us, who knew everything that we've ever done and yet loved us so much. And help us to go from here with that message in our hearts. Help us to carry each other, support each other as the body is. We are all connected to Jesus together, the different parts of the body all functioning together. Father, thank you that you see us and you speak to us.